Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. You know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. All right, welcome to episode 164 with uh, Trisha Yearwood. What a treat. Thank you very much. What a treat. You brought me um, some Jack Daniels Sinatra Select. I did. Now, you have the, the Frank Sinatra record, and so we'll talk about that in a second, but it's orange. It's it's orange on the packaging because that was Sinatra's favorite color, and and you're pretty cool, I guess, if Jack Daniels gives an entire collection of alcohol for you. I guess yeah, that's I mean, I think cool. he's pretty cool anyway. I was gonna stretch, scratch out his name and put mine, but I decided to just leave it for you that way. I think you're pretty cool if Trisha Yearwood does a record of all your songs, <laughs> more so than if Jack Daniels does. Well, I'm an waiting alcohol. to be. Let, I'm waiting to do. Let's be Bobby, but I'm. Oh, just, you don't you know. want to do that one. <laughs> That's like a FCC fine. That's, that's, that's a whole. I, that could be my next thing. That's a whole thing. We were t- so you handed me the alcohol, and I said, "Hey, why don't I just drink this?" Um, it'd be my first time ever drinking, and I'll just get hammered during the podcast. I'd be so embarrassed to be that person for you. I don't want to be that person. For I you. think, and a lot of my friends want to be that person. They want me to get drunk with them because then they have like my 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 alcohol flower. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I love you, but I don't want your alcohol flower. Yeah, it's not my thing. I've never even heard it called that. I haven't I, either. But, but now what a creepy I'm going alcohol now, term! It's totally creepy. I was out with a girl. Um, Speaking of alcohol flowers. Well, this is a whole story about oh, me sorry, drinking because when I drink, people act weird around me. I don't drink, but people are drinking. They'll go, "Ooh, I shouldn't drink around you." So I don't tell anybody that I, that I don't drink. So I, I fake drink. So I ask the bartender for something virginy and you know put a little that lime. Looks or, like yeah. it's yeah. So I was with a girl and we went out and. Ray and Bay, who um, we, were, we were having dinner with them. And I go to the bathroom and Ray tells the girl that I took out, oh, you know, he doesn't drink, right? And then she starts, she's at, I didn't know he told her that. And she's been uh, acting totally weird around me. Yep. And that's you what just it is. thought it was something else. Yeah, you I was like, no well, she must know about my rash. You must have, <laughs> which is another reason yeah, to just course. kind of be, what, don't you, you deserve a medal because it's really hard I find to be the sober person around a bunch of drunk people because no one who's really drunk understands how drunk they are. Right. So you're, if you're the sober person, 
If you're drunk with them, then you don't have to worry about not having patience with anybody because you're drunk too. But if you're sober and everyone else is drunk. But I don't know the difference, right? Well, you just aren't hanging around the right drunks. Maybe so. I mean, I don't know the difference in me. Like, I know the difference in them. Right, right, right. I've never been drunk with the drunks. I only know being with the stupid people. Right. Like, I know a Friday night if I go out, I'm going to be with a bunch of stupid people. That's just par for that course. This is what it's going to be, yeah. So, I appreciate that though. Someone in this house will drink it. Well, that's what I thought. You could serve it. You could serve it to one of your guests. Yeah. Or someone will steal it. That's what happens. That might happen. I'll go into my bedroom and I'll come back and Eddie's stolen or somebody from the show stolen all the alcohol. I get really nice alcohol sent to me sometimes. Because you keep alcohol in your bedroom? I mean, is this something I'll go into about? my bedroom like to change clothes or something. I come oh, out and, and okay, the alcohol all right, Okay, stolen. I feel better now. I feel better now. I was concerned. Yeah. What, what have you been up to all day? <laughs> I've been doing, I've been talking about this record. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just kind of doing my thing. We're getting ready to go to St. Louis to do a tailgate. So I've been talking about that. And um, What is an interview day for you? Like a press day? What, what does that consist of? You wake up at what time? Today I, I woke up at 7.30. So some days it depends on what you're doing. You know, if you're doing one of those big early morning shows where you're hate those. the crack. Yeah, hate those early morning shows. See, I got into the music business to not have to get up early, mm. but then you end up getting up early for stuff. I mean, you get up early. Three o'clock. Yeah. That's not okay. That's not okay to me. I, I would have to quit my job. You wouldn't though. I used to think that cause I'm not a morning person. I just, I'm not. It takes me three hours to get to where I'm okay. But you, it's just a, a balance. Like, do I love what I do? Yeah. But do I hate waking up to do it? Yeah. And then as it starts, like now we've kind of, I've kind of built something cool. Yeah. So it's like, you know, if my yeah. worst problem is not getting sleep, I got. That's true. I and got, once you're up, it's okay. It's the getting up for me, but getting up in the dark. I mean, that's, that's you really, you really are a night person because you get up in the middle of the night. That's crazy. I'm a night person anyway. I'm too. But I mean, and I am that person. If I have to get up really early, I'm not the person that goes to bed early. I can't do it. I'm just a night person. So I'm just not going to get sleep if I got to get up early. If you're playing a show and you finish. At eleven thirty, what time? What time is into the set usually? Um, the whole thing. Usually eleven thirty, eleven thirty to midnight, something like that. What time do you finally get down? Probably two ish. Yeah, that's my perfect schedule. <laughs> if I could go to bed <laughs> at two lucky, or three and lucky. wake up at one p.m., like yeah, that's, that would be so good. Like that's my my natural life. I was reading a story about that where a lot of jobs, not a lot of jobs, but a lot of um, science is saying jobs have they're like programming people wrong that everybody's body isn't built for nine to five, that a lot of people's bodies are built for noon to 8 p.m. And that the productivity scale, whenever you find what people do best, they actually work better at the times that their bodies. That makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. makes so much sense. I mean, I was a, I had a nine to five job when I first moved to town. I was a receptionist at a record label and I had to be at work at nine and, and I worked at a label where there was a guy at the desk. So if I got there at nine Oh one, he'd had to sit there an extra hour. So he was really ticked at me if I was ever late. So I was always on time cause I didn't want him to be mad at me and you couldn't leave your desk to even use the restroom without somebody sitting in your chair because you're answering the phones. You're, the, you know, it, you're yeah. the gateway, you know, the whole place. And it was really depressing for me. Not because not, first of all, I'm, I'm watching people come in every day and do what I wanted to be doing. So that was hard. But secondly, just that structure of this is when you clock in, this is when you clock out. I think pe some people are made for it, and I think some people aren't, and I don't think I am. I like people who say, oh, it must be so crazy. You just don't ever know what your schedule is going to be. I'm like, it's kind of different every day, but I kind of love that for me. That so, it's consistently different. Like yeah. there's a consistency to, to it always being different. Exactly, exactly. And I, I like that. I think I thrive on that. I don't think I would do well. I know I don't do well, did not do well in the 9 to 5. You know, Marcus Humman is a friend. Uh, and a songwriter in town. And he said that he would go in, you mentioned your, your job at uh, Mary Tyler Moore mm -hmm. and he would see you working 
behind the desk early on. Yes. And actually Marcus gave me work. Um, he, I did some demos for him, um, back in the day, back in, during that time period, I got to know, I knew a couple of songwriters and I started doing demos after work. Um, so I'd work nine to six and then I would do demos until, you know, nine o'clock and then I would go home and go to bed and get back up the next day. And, and then for, and then for a while I got a job playing at a bowling alley in Hendersonville, north of town. So I would go leave my job and I would play from seven to two and then I would get up and go to work the next day. So you work a full normal day at 5 mm-hmm. PM. Then you go to the bowling alley and play for five hours. Yeah. What does that mean? What do you do at a bowling alley when you play? Do you have like a, you play sets. So you play like three, like three sets. Are you in a band? Mm-hmm. I was in a band. So I did all the girl songs, you know, <laughs> and you did that for five hours. Yeah. For, yeah. And was it enough? Were you doing it to like pay rent or were you doing it to get in the, the music scene a bit? I just wanted to sing. Yeah. I mean, and I, I honestly made, I think I'd make about 200 bucks in a weekend, which was what I made in a paycheck, you know? So it was, and it was, I was having more fun doing that. So I eventually quit the, the job to do that. But also the demo work was, I couldn't get full-time demo work having a full-time job. So I could only sing after work. So it was kind of that moment of like, I'm not really making enough money to, to quit the job, but if I don't quit the job, I'm not going to be able to do right. the other thing. And that was a little transition. But then I, then I did demo work, and it was great for me because I learned, I learned so many things I didn't even know I was learning. You know, I learned what a good song was for me. I learned what a bad song was for me. I learned how to make a song my own because I'm kind of an imitator, and I had sung with the radio my whole life. So then you're hearing songs you've never heard before, and you have to you have to make them yours. And it was it was a great training ground for me in a, in a way that I didn't even realize. When you're a demo singer and for example, um, if you're listening to this, let's say you and I write a song and we're like, this is a really good song. We'll get someone to sing the demo. So it gets pitched to artists. Right. Um, are you hearing like the work tape, the recording, like a cassette player and then learning it real quick? Are you hearing that and and looking at a lyric sheet and then walking in and singing it like pretty fresh? Yeah. I'm hearing, I'm hearing it on like a jam box back in the day, um, with a lyric sheet, maybe usually, uh, usually in the lyric sheet. And, and this was the eighties, you know, so I would, I'd have a 10 o'clock, a two o'clock and a six o'clock. So usually there'd be three or four songs per session. So I would listen to the cassette of the three songs I had to sing at 10 o'clock on the way to the session. Cause I'd usually go by and pick up a copy the day before usually, and I'd learn them on the way. And I was, I had a really good short-term memory. So I, and I had this system of, cause you know, in Nashville, it's the number system. And I was like, do you know the number system? I'm like, yeah, of course I didn't, but I said I did cause I wanted the work and my system was to listen and kind of just make these little hieroglyphic lines that no one could understand but me about this one, this song, this, there's a little lick here that melody goes up upon an arrow, whatever I need to do to, to kind of learn it. And then I would sing those songs and then I would um, usually do a harmony and then I would get in the car and I'd learn the next three or four songs on the way to the two o'clock. Cause you so can't you're cramming to each you're of them, cramming for a test and to each one. And then the next day you do it all over again. So sometimes I wouldn't, I couldn't tell you what I had sung that morning, but if I eventually heard that on the radio, I'd find myself singing along with a song and be like, Oh, I did the demo for oh, that. Wow, isn't that crazy? <clears throat> so it's like in subconsciously. Here. It, yeah. It's in here, but you it's just sitting. Yeah. Yeah. So did you ever sing demos of a song that turned out to be a pretty big one? Um, I did a, I did sing a demo for a Lori Morgan song called, I guess you had to be there. I sang the demo for that. Um, I sang, uh, I'm trying to think. There was something else that I did that became a, a big song. But, oh, I did a demo for one of my very first demos ever was a song that became a hit for Sammy Kershaw called Don't Go Near the Water. For Sammy Kershaw. That's a complete yeah. switch up. Totally. Yeah. Don't Go Near the Water. 
Is, is there a pride to demo singing when it, when it does kind of make it? Because you're like, oh, I was on the first level of this. It kind of is. And especially before you have a record deal on your own and you're you're not hearing yourself on the radio, then you, you just kind of feel like, okay, I'm in, I am in this business somehow. Cause I'm, you know, I am, I'm, I'm contributing. And then the first time I heard myself on the radio was as a harmony singer. I, um, Kathy Matea asked me to sing on a record of hers called time passes by, and I could hear my high harmony. And for me to hear myself singing on the radio, that was the first time. And it was like, okay. So oh, every cool. step was like a little step closer and closer to where I wanted to be. We just did um, a whole show about background singers and background singers that you may not know were singing background. And some of the ones that we talked about were recently were Stapleton singing with Luke Bryan on Drink a Beer. We went back to You're So Vain from um, Carly um, Carly Simon with Mick Jagger, who just right. happened to be in the studio and was right. like, I'll sing. And, you know, he's not credited. Or when the Beatles did. Uh, but we did all this whole this whole show about background singers and you may not know who the famous background singer was counting crows singing on the wallflowers things like that but like you mentioned you know you sang harmony you sang background records yeah. is, that was a step up from demo singing when they would hire you to come and sing the backgrounds of the harmonies yeah and i i uh because you were doing something that was for a record label that was potentially going to get played on the radio and i, I mean i sang uh, you know i think garth Garth says, I don't know how many songs he's got, but I mean, I'm singing on like a hundred songs of his. And Is sometimes right? you know it's that me. Many. Sometimes you don't know it's me, but, um, and he did the same for me. He's singing on some of my records that you wouldn't know he's singing on. <clears throat> um, and then Leroy Parnell, I sang for, I, I sang with Vince Gill. I sang, um, I just, I mean, pretty much because I loved singing harmony and I was good at it and I was inexpensive, you know? So as a demo singer, you're like, I come in, I know the song, I can sing on pitch. And I can do my own harmonies and, you know, 20 bucks, maybe 40 if there's harmony, if there's more than one harmony and you're out the door, you know, so it was a, but you add those up in a day and you, it was a pretty good living. So, you know, it was, it was, I made better money doing demos than I did as a receptionist. Um, and then I got a record deal and then I was broke, you know, because then you stop doing all of that and then you, you're, then you're in debt. It's, <laughs> you know? it, what's funny is, and this happens again to a lot of, of my friends, people I know is that you, as your profile goes up, you get poorer. Totally. <laughs> and it's a, it's a weird juxtaposition of here you go. Everybody's like, wow, check this out. But you have no time to do anything except right. kind of start over and you're not making any money. You know, they don't give you, it's not American Idol. They don't give you a bunch of money as soon as you sign a record deal. No, they don't. And if they, whatever they give you is to make your record, which is by the way, a loan because it's all you pay it back. Yeah. And then you pay it all back and then you still don't own your record, you know? So it's kind of a weird, it's totally weird situation. Um, but yeah, and then when you do, I remember that the first money that I actually made, which I never saw the check, but the first money that came in was the second album, Hearts and Armor, when it went platinum, I remember that there was there was going to be some actual money coming in, and um, it went right back into reinvesting in what we were doing next, because we were going on tour, and we were, you know, you're paying a band, you got a, you got a bus you got to pay for, and it's, it's a lot, you know, so we never really saw it. Yeah, it's so much. I was looking... You know, because I, I have a comedy band and we, we play some, you know, we do a few thousand people a night. It's just pretty good little shows. And, and I do stand up and we do some comedy songs and the full band plays. But just to pay the band and travel, every show it's thousands and thousands of dollars. Yes. I was looking at my business manager and, you know, because I'm paying my drummer. You got to pay your bassist. You got to pay your tour manager. You're pay and by the time you look at the whole thing, it's thousands of dollars for every show. And if you're new and some of my, you know, people have been opening acts and you're getting, you know, five to seven, 7,500 for an opening spot on one of these tours, right? You're paying that to just get there. Oh yeah. You're, oh, you're yeah. not making any money. And I think it's harder, even harder now because artists, 
you know, they pretty much don't do a deal anymore that's not a 360 deal, right? So you don't get, so now you're, you're used to be that your, you know, your money is, you're paying everybody. You have, you have all the responsibility. You pay all the expenses. You're the last person paid. And now a percentage of everything you make is going to your record label, including your live show, including your merchandise, through every single thing. So it sounds like, oh, poor me. But I think people just assume, oh, well, they're just all rolling in the dough. Yeah. And it's really, it's really for 95% of artists, it's a really hard job that has you in debt. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not, it's not, you have to, you have to do it because you love it. You know, it's the, I would say it's the 1% of the 1% who make money because it's the 1% to get to this town and be able to just be so good and good, meaning you've done the work to, to also be good, to be so good that you get a shot and you get signed and that's just a shot. And yeah. then to be the 1% who gets signed and actually can make money and make a long career of it. It's the one, it's the 0.1% of people who can actually, you know, make money. It's, it's way more difficult than I think some people think it is. Yeah. And I, I think, I think especially now with, there's so many ways if you don't have any kind of connection into the music industry, there's so many ways now to get yourself out there with social media and YouTube and all that, that everybody does think, Oh, I'll just do this and I'll be famous or whatever. And even if you become a sensation on YouTube, it doesn't guarantee, you know, the, the goal is longevity right. and that's not easy to do. These online musicians, I, I was reading about a rapper, young Dolph. Yeah. I didn't know who he was either. I do, maybe you do. Maybe I you're do a huge not. Young Dolph fan. No, I, I did don't you either. see the look in my eyes? I'm like, uh. <laughs> Didn't know who he was. He was eating at a Cracker Barrel. <laughs> it's old Dolph's kid. Yeah, yeah of course. And, and <laughs> Dolph Sr. Yeah. The whole generation of Dolphs. He had a uh, golf video, I think. He was eating in a Cracker Barrel. And um, <coughs> he had $500,000 of jewelry in his car. There was They busted out his window. It was all in his car. They stole it all out of there. And I'm like, how did this dude make $500,000? He's an online rapper. He's a rapper who made it online. I don't know where he's getting that money, but some of these YouTubers can make a quick pop, but you got to sustain that. But half a million dollars in a car. Are you kidding me? And first of all, where's your business? Where's someone telling you to not nobody keep was half a million dollars worth of jewelry in nobody, your car? Nobody was telling me. And he was half a million dollars worth of jewelry besides maybe like Liz Taylor. I don't know. Jewelry. And in, in a That's car. That's crazy. In a car. Yeah. So someone busted out the window. It was a camouflage G Wagon. Busted it at the crack. And I'm like, get the Cracker Barrel. He's also eating at the Cracker Barrel. There's, there's some irony. There's so that, many things wrong yes. with his story. I can't even. When did, like the, for you, when did it start to be, hey, we got to get this music online? What part, what stage? Um, Like a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just recently, it's like, tr mm. Trisha. I've sort of been the last man standing. Um, Sorry. <coughs> I, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's hard because I come from a different, kind of a different era, you know, of the way music was made and sold and I am also wanting to be current so I want to do things the way things are being done I know people consume music in such a different way um and this was really the album this let's be frank album was the one that I said okay let's just put it everywhere because we just what we want is for as many people to discover it as possible so let's put it in every single possible form we can which is why if you buy the album or you buy the vinyl there's a digital download inside. We're on all this streaming. Um, we just want we just want to get it out there. And you know, I I it's tough for me because I as a as a listener and a consumer of music, I consume that same way. So if I if I want to hear a song and I and I go to YouTube and watch the video, then I might be less likely to buy the record. So what's going to motivate me to buy it if I can just hear it in all these places for free? But, but at the same time, you have to get it out there for people to hear. So um, we just said, let's go for it. 
want to play for the last time. This is from the Let's Be Frank album. I have it here. I have it on vinyl. This is the next to last track on the record. I just looked at the track list. It's, you have a vinyl you gave me here. Do you listen to things on vinyl? I do. You know what's really cool is that I, it makes me listen to albums again all the way through. Which is yeah, because that, it's hard to skip. Right, exactly. I, I agree with that. It, 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 so, and, and there's reasons for the, the way records are made in a certain order. It was the first time in a long time that I had to think about, what do you want to start side B with? You know, it's like I haven't thought about that in a long time, you know. Is it a different order than if you were to stream the record that you did the the, album, the vinyl with? Um, Yes. Because, because of that, because yes. you want to start side and, B with And on vinyl, one of the reasons that we moved away from vinyl as a format is because it can only handle a certain amount of, of time on a, on the on the vinyl before it starts to lose the quality of the record. Oh, you mean plays before yeah. it starts to sound bad? Uh, well, no, it's the, it's actually the minutes on the record. So like something over is 20, right? over 22 minutes aside, something about the grooves in the vinyl huh. makes the sound quality go, go the other way. So, so there's that, you know, so we actually had another song. We dropped a song on this off of this to make it fit on the vinyl. And then I decided not to add it back on CD. You can put as many as you want. Um, I didn't want to, I didn't do that because I didn't want, uh, there to be something somewhere that went anywhere else. So that's a consideration. And then you have to think about, well, if somebody's going to flip this record over, how does it's almost like a, a six song playlist on each side. Here is come fly with me. Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly away. Did you find that songs like this, the more legendary songs were a little harder to do because you, everybody knows them. Yes. Because yes. I would be like, I just don't want to screw this up. Yes. Everybody knows it. <laughs> yes. And also, interestingly, the big, huge, lush 55-piece symphony ballads were not as hard as the lighter, like Come Fly With Me, kind of the jazzy, more rhythmic things. Because you find yourself trying to think about being cool when you're singing it, and you have to not think about it. You have to just, like, you have to go, look, you know how to sing. Don't overthink it. Don't worry about it. Just sing it. Um, but yes, I mean, Come Fly With Me, One For My Baby, One For The Road. Those are such quintessential Frank songs, right? So you just have to hope that people know that you are just trying to show your respect. And with Frank, it's such a weird thing because you want to do it right because of Frank's legend. However, people love Frank. And if you don't do it right... I just I danced to a Frank Sinatra song. I danced with the stars, and people were lighting me up because I wasn't that great of a dancer. It's like, how would you, could you disrespect Frank Sinatra? And I was like, I'm dancing. This isn't. I did New York, New York, and they were like, how would you just? I was like, I danced as good as I could. I'm not a dancer. I just like the song. But I saw then a little bit how pissy people would get when you, yeah, wouldn't well, do everything wonderfully. What you have to do is you have to just understand that if you, I know that my respect level for him and his music is high. I know that my intention was to make a record that was mine, but also was a very, uh, you know, specific tribute to him. And there's gotta be somebody out there that is like, really, what is this country chicks thinking doing a Sinatra record? But I really don't care. I mean, it's kind of like if you're going to do it, you know, you go out and you dance your heart out, Bobby Bones, and you Listen, don't worry about what people I worried say. about what everybody thought because I wasn't a good dancer. <laughs> uh, for the la- or, um, Let's Be Frank is out. Um, I should mention that first song that we played. That's the one that you and Garth wrote, right? Is that mm-hmm. that's what you told me? We talked about that on the radio show. Yeah, yeah, we, um, yeah, that one. Yeah. So I came home with um, this title in my head, and I think I told you when we talked before that, you know, Garth's the one in all the Songwriter Hall of Fames, and so I'm like, 
I don't, I'm not really a confident writer and I, I tend to do things that come easy to me, but if they're a little bit of work, I, I give up pretty quickly. I'm good at that. And, uh, writing is one of those things that, I mean, I've written all my cookbooks and there are stories about my life and my family, but they're not poems. They don't rhyme. They're not, you know, I'm not a poet like Garth is, but he is. So it worked out really well. And we worked on this together and, um, I really, am, I, I would, I would not have, I didn't intend to write a song for the record. It wasn't, it didn't happen at the same time. But um, when the song was finished, it felt like a throwback to another era. So when this album came about, it felt like the place to put it. Well, it fits with all the other songs too. Like, I, <coughs> if I would have just played it and not known, um, yeah, there's some, there's some, there's some sorry. water in there. I'm no, sorry, I've, I'm just off the end of a cold, and it's like the cough won't go is there away. In there? Here, while you take a drink, we'll, ta- we'll take a quick break here. So how'd you get ready today? Did you shower, brush your teeth, wash your face, style your hair? I'm asking because as a proud member of Dollar Shave Club, I'm here to tell you that no matter what you do to get ready, Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. You want a clean mouth and fresh breath, right? The intense peppermint flavor of Dollar Shave Club's toothpaste will wake you up and last a surprisingly long time. Their hydrating body cleanser smells awesome. Skin feels great after you shower, but I hope showering and brushing your teeth are just part of how you get ready. But no matter how you do, Dollar Shave Club has everything that you need. And I haven't even mentioned their razors and shave butter that everybody knows them for, including myself. Right now, you can get a Dollar Shave Club starter set for just $5 each. They got a shower set, a toothpaste, a toothbrush set, all their famous shave butter, the razor. Any of those sets, just 5 bucks, And it's the best way to try out their amazing products. It's a great gift. After your starter set products ship at a regular price, right? Get yours today. DollarShaveClub.com slash bones. DollarShaveClub.com slash bones. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they'll last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. They offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. And stay cool in short sleeve moisture wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tacova's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. Tacovas.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer shaped the sound and soul of country music as we know it today, despite never picking up an instrument herself. Lovingly dubbed as The Boar's Nest, Sue's place was an intimate staging ground where a new breed of singer-songwriters, wounded souls, wayward upstarts, that's where they would spur each other and tap into something bigger and something realer. Starring Mandy Moore and featuring Eben Moss Backrack as Shel Silverstein and T.J. Osborne as Johnny Cash alongside a full ensemble cast. Audible invites you to enter the boar's nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The boar's nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. 
I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785-833. You know, something interesting about you is um, you mentioned that you that you sang on roughly 100 Garth songs. Yeah, something like that. Do you remember the first time that you ever went and sang with him? Or was he just one of the singers you were popping in with? No, I mean, actually, I met Garth. Um, it's kind of a famous story now. We were introduced by a guy named Kent Blazy who wrote um, If Tomorrow Never Tomorrow Comes. Tomorrow Never Comes, yeah. And I did demos for Kent. So when during those demo days when I was driving around with the cassette in my car, um, Kent was one of the first guys I met in Nashville long before I met Garth. And so Kent had a studio in his attic of his house, and I would go over to his house, and I would sing. And, and Kent kept saying, I'm working with this other guy, and um, he, you guys need to meet each other. I feel like you guys would really get along, and he, you need, he needs to call you to do some of his chick singer demos. And I'm like, cool. And Garth was um, didn't have a record deal yet. I think he had just signed with Capitol, didn't have an album out yet. And um, so one day Kent hired us uh, for to do a demo, a duet. So we met at Kent's house in the attic for 10 bucks a song. And Gar says he didn't get paid anything that day, but I think he got 10 bucks that day. And um, that was the day that we met. So we met before he was, you know, famous. And I remember him saying, because that day he said he went to Bob Joel, his manager, and said, <clears throat> this girl, like, you've got to hear this girl sing. I um, remember him saying, I, you know, I, I just got signed to Capitol. I'm about to put up my first album. And I hope someday, we're, you know, we can work together and, uh, if I'm lucky enough to do well and whatever. And I remember when he left, I thought, that's cool. Like, I mean, I thought this guy's got really big dreams. I mean, I hope, <laughs> you know, like he's, he's not even released his album yet. And he's asking me to, you know, be on his tour kind of thing. And then of course he became Garth Brooks. And after that first album, um, then he called me to come and sing on the second album. And so it was songs like, um, uh, Cole shoulder. Wasn't that on the second album? Cole shoulder was on the second album. Um, I missed the Friends in Low Places day. I was out of town on tour. Oh, the literal I, day where they sang it. I literally missed that day, which really bummed me out because there's like everybody's on that song and I wanted to be on that record and I wasn't. Um, but fast forward to when I got my record deal a couple of years later. And uh, by that time, Friends in Low Places was out and he was this phenomenon, you know. And so he, he said, let's go over to MCA and uh, go see Tony Brown and um, about seeing if you want to come out on tour with me. And everybody was wanting to be on that tour. I mean, it was like the tour to be on. And so when we got to the front desk, the receptionist, uh, Willie, she, um, called back to Tony and said, Garth and Trisha are here. And Garth Fundus is my producer. So Tony thought it was me and my producer. And so I walk in with Garth Brooks and he's like, I'd like to, I'd want, I'd like to talk to you about maybe taking Trisha on this tour. And of course I was like, yes, you know, so for me, it was kind of a blessing and a curse because I had grown up doing demos. I had not grown up in the clubs. I'd not come up through learning my way in front of a small crowd of drunks. 
So my very first audiences were opening for Garth and, you know, doing a set in front of 15,000 people who didn't know who I was. Is that right? So that was my first. And of course, Garth being Garth, you know, most of the time, if you're on a big tour like that, the artist has all their stuff and then there's a big curtain in front of it and you've got about three feet to stand in front of and do your show, which would have been a dream come true for me because I was terrified. And of course, Garth's like, here, use my whole stage, you know, I'm like, oh, that's so great. So that was, it was terrifying, but I had to, it was really baptism by fire, you know, and I had She's in Love the Boy out, which was doing well, but that was the only song I had on the radio. So people spent either the entire 20 minutes I was out there getting popcorn or yelling for She's in Love the Boy, you know, until that was my last song. Is that the first song of yours that you heard on the radio? Yeah. She's in Love the Boy? Yeah. Play that one a little bit. Did you know it was coming when you heard it the first time? I remember exactly where I was. I was just, I was right down the street here in Green Hills, driving down the road in a, I had a four-door Burgundy Honda used, and I was driving down that road, and I heard it come on, and I rolled all the windows down, and I don't know why, I guess I thought I wanted everybody on the street to hear it too, I don't know, I mean, it was like this, you know, just this whole, your whole body lights up, you know, and um, it was the most exciting thing in the world, because... I had literally wanted to be a singer since I was five years old. And I remember listening to the radio in my mom's and dad's kitchen in our house thinking I was naive enough to think, well, they're on the radio. Why can't I be? And I think that's part of the reason that I became one of those 1% because I didn't know the odds. I didn't know what the odds were. And I really just believed, well, if they can do it, why can't I do it? Did you feel when you were working at the front desk and people would come in to work in a profession that you wanted to do that you were as good as they were? Already, and because I know it's frustrating when people are doing what you want to do, but did you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm there talent wise. It's just I got to put in my time. My thing was, I believed in my voice. I, I believed that I had a voice and that I could sing. But I'm, I'm basically an introvert. I mean, I'm not like I grew up watching Barbara Mandrell on television, and she played every instrument, and she danced, and she did all this stuff. And I was not, I'm not that kind of an entertainer. And so I really thought, um, you know, I'm, I can sing. I'm a little bit overweight. I don't play an instrument, really. I can play a little bit of guitar, but I don't. So I didn't think I had enough. I thought I've got this one skill that I believe in, but I don't have all these other ones. So I think for me, it was that I did have a strong belief in myself and I don't, I think if I didn't, I wouldn't be sitting here. But at the same time, I, I had all these doubts about the things that I thought I needed to be able to do the, before I could be, a, be successful at it. So you felt you had to develop you, even then you felt like you needed to develop a bit more. Yeah. You weren't sure. so strong. No, no. I mean, and I went to Belmont where there were so many music majors and you couldn't, you throw a stick without somebody telling you what a great singer they were, you know, and I was not that girl. And even actually at, at MTM records, um, after I got my record deal, there were people at that building who said, we didn't even know, we didn't know you sang. Really? Yeah. So you weren't, you weren't one of the ones that were like, Hey, I sing, I sing. I was not, I was not. How how did you change that then? How did you start telling people I sing, I sing? I think it was because I, I was shy and I wasn't bold about telling people I was a singer, but after working at that label for about six months and answering the phones and ordering liquid paper and not, and watching people do what I wanted to do, I realized if I don't tell somebody, this is what I do. If I don't really get off my butt and try to make this happen, then I'm going to get to do this for the rest of my life. And I reconnected. I had, um, I had a couple of songwriters. One was Kent Blazy that I had done demos for. And I, um, 
I just found those guys again and said, hey, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to get some demo work. And demo work was my way out once I started to get enough work that I could actually quit my job. Who was it for you that took the big shot? Like you went, wow, this person really like put it out there for me to like believed in me when maybe they didn't have to. I mean, there was, there were several, there were a lot of people, the chain of events were the two Garths, honestly, because when I met Garth Brooks, he was the person who introduced me to Alan Reynolds, his producer. And Alan was really a great friend to me because Alan gave me advice based on what he thought was best for me, not what he thought I could maybe do for him. And he was the guy who said, you should meet Garth Fundus. He's a guy who I feel like you guys are really hit it off. And Fundus was the one who, when he heard me sing, said, let's do a showcase. He's the one who went to bat for me at the record labels and to help me get a record deal. And he was the one who helped me get the music that was in my head onto tape, what I, what I really wanted, how I really wanted to sound and the music kind of music that I wanted to make. So it was, it was really all of those people together because I would never met Garth Fundus if it wouldn't have been for Garth Brooks. Um, and so I guess it really was, you know, ended up being my husband, the one that really believed in me that, that was like to start just telling everybody about me. And he didn't even have a single on the radio. So he was doing that before he was. Yeah. Freaking Garth Brooks. Yes. He was just a guy named Garth. <laughs> he just was, yeah. He was the less famous Garth probably at the time. Yeah, too. and he was. And then it was like, I know two Garths now. Eventually, a guy, there's a guy who's a tour manager's name is Garth. And he came in and um, did an interview for a job. And I told him, I said, you're probably great at what you do, but I, I can't know you. Like, I just can't. Like, I, I have two Garths <laughs> in my life. It's already too weird. Like, I just can't do it. Uh, That's a true story. That happened. That's a lot of Garth. I mean, even two Garths. I, I know, obviously, your husband a bit. I don't know any other Garth. I know. It's so it's so odd. And actually, if we're all in the studio together, which happens, it's very strange, you know. So actually, I started calling Garth Fundus Tennessee because I'm like, I have to have like a nickname mm. for you because I can't. Because I'd say Garth, they both whip their head around, you know, I'm like, I know. Because they, <laughs> they never hear anybody else call Garth, right. you know. So yeah, so it's a, it's a thing. On, on this new Let's Be Frank record, you went and recorded, did he say you recorded like with the, like the mic? that Frank Sinatra yeah. had used? Yes. Now, does that mic just chill there, or do they, like, bring it out for special occasions? They use it. I mean, it's, you know, Capitol is like a working museum. You know, I mean, you walk in, you think this stuff should be behind glass. But I guess it's cool that you actually get to use this stuff. But at the same time, it's like, it's Sinatra's microphone. And um, and the the bar stools in there, the the straight back chairs, they're, they're like, there's tons of photos of Frank and and Judy Garland and Dean Martin. All this stuff is the is the Capitol gear, and I guess that's part of the vibe. I mean, you definitely feel the ghosts in this room when you're in there. But I would be afraid to use all that stuff. But I mean, some of the best microphones, like Nashville, where I where I make my country records, I use an I use this uh, a Neumann. It's called a C12, and it's an out, it's a microphone that I've used for years because I like how it my voice can tend to, if I get loud, it either the mic will shut down or the mic will sound really, I'll sound really tinny and high-endy and I don't, I want it to still sound warm and that's a challenge. And the other thing is if they put a compressor on your voice, then you can handle the big loud, but it just still shuts your voice down. So it's a thing. So there's this one microphone that I love and I've been trying to buy this microphone forever because there are, you could put four of the same exact mic side by side, but there's one that's going to sound different and I've been stalking this microphone for years and uh I, I finally I bought it like last week oh you did yeah finally finally they sold super it to me. expensive um yeah not not terrible but, but it's hard to get. but it's yeah but yeah. hard to get and it's an old microphone so so th this microphone is probably 25 30 years old so it is a 
it's that it's one of those things that doesn't that that time is a friend to it doesn't make it like oh this is just old there is something sweet about it and I will say that 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 Frank microphone was warm and friendly and it just made your voice feel like butter and you just felt like you could sing anything one of the things that I would compare because I I'm very particular about the mics that I use every day, right? Because I talk <clears throat> every day, so mics are important to me, and also headphones. But I would compare them to people who don't, if you don't work in music or sound, like the you can have ten pair of jeans that are exactly the same, but one of those pair of jeans is going to fit you so just right. You may have three pair that you own are the same, but that one pair you always go back to because it just feels the best. Yeah, and you can't really explain it so much, like a little bit. You can maybe it fits you a little better here, but you're like. Oh, this one just feels better. Like it fits me better. Yeah. That's how I describe like that's when a good, I'm telling people about That's a good analogy. And, and the microphone too, and what you hear in your headphones, it's so um, subjective, right? So it's whatever feels good to you. And right. sometimes it's hard to describe if I'm, especially if I'm in the studio and the engineer is um, asking me what I need. Sometimes it's hard to say exactly what it's doing. But if you're, if you've worked with somebody long enough, you can kind of say, I feel this way or that way. And they're like, Oh, I got it. And they'll figure, they'll figure it out. That's the one thing I've really enjoyed about making records with Garth Fundus, who we've made most of our records with. And we just finished in a country record now is that we've worked together for so long that I can tell him something's not right. And I don't know exactly what it is, but I, but something in here is bugging me. And he'll usually go, Oh, I bet you don't like the blah, blah, blah here. Let's turn that down. He, he knows me well enough to kind of know. So we have a language that is nice because I can't always articulate what I want, but he seems to know. And it's funny because the analogy I use for that is like, if you're getting like a massage, it's hard to say exactly where it hurts, but if they like can find it, you're like, Oh, that's it. That's it. That's yeah, it right yeah. there. <laughs> like that's, that's how yeah. adjusting something that you really can't explain is. Yeah. That's for it's sure. Like, oh, you got it. Come back a little bit there. Oh, yeah. Right there. Right there. There it is. Ah, oh. yeah, that's me. That's what, that's also the sound I do when I get a massage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you, from this, let's be frank record. Will you do any of these songs live? Yeah, um, we uh, we just did our first show um, at the Rainbow Room in New York, um, fitting for the Frank record, and it was the first time I had done all of these songs, and I, it was really funny, you'll, you'll find this funny, I think I had done a few of the songs, but I hadn't done the whole show, and I'd been doing a lot of press in New York that week, and um, I'd had a long day, it was one of those morning shows where I'd gotten up at four, and then I had a show that night, and in about three o'clock that afternoon before sound check, it hit me. I haven't done these songs. Like, I don't know if I know all the words. Did they all laughed in the ladies of tramp? There's a lot of verses and a, there's a lot going on here and I'm nervous and it's the rainbow room and it's New York. And so I spent a couple of hours while I was getting ma- hair makeup and everybody's coming and asking me questions, listening and listening and listening. So I was terrified that night because I thought I can't go out here and this, I've been waiting to do this record for 20 years and I don't remember all the words to the ladies of tramp. Like I will be I'll be carried out of here. You, you know, know if someone will record it on their phone. Right, exactly. Um, and, but I did, I did fine. It was a good night. It was a good night, but I was terrified. Um, and I loved it. Like, I loved singing these songs. We did a few of, like we did She's in Love the Boy and we did um, Walk Away Joe, but I kind of couldn't wait to get to these songs just because, um, and when we do, when we do a tour, we'll do some of the songs that people know me for, but we'll also do these. It's just, I don't know how we're going to do it. Cause you kind of, when you're, it's kind of changing into a different mode. And when you're in that mode, you kind of want to stay there. So I, we'll see how we do it. We, I've done some symphony shows before, before I made this record. Um, and I have some really cool orchestra arrangements for some of those songs. But um, so we'll see. Well, I bet that band's expensive. Talking about expensive bands yeah. and orchestra. Yeah. I mean, holy yes. Crap. I mean, that's the thing, you know, a lot of people don't use live orchestra anymore because it's so expensive. LA was good and they get a lot of work because they do a lot of movie scores and stuff. But um, 55 pieces, I mean, 
you know, this album will have to do well for me to do another one because it's really a lot of money and you don't have to do that anymore. But I can't imagine having done this another way to be in the room with everybody. It's almost like you're all taking the same breath in and out and the conductors across from you. And he's looking at you for a signal of how long do you want to pause here and how, and you're all working together and it feels like you're just another instrument in the room. And I can't imagine doing it another way. It was, it was one of the coolest things ever. Would you use a prompter? Let's say the words you just you didn't have it. Would you put a prompter up? I I mean I hope I've never done that. You haven't. I, I hope not because here's what here's what I find if I'm doing an award show or something and they they'll have the prompter. I even if I if I'm singing "She's in Love" the boy, which I sung a million times and I know I'm gonna I'm gonna look at the prompter, <laughs> you know. So I feel like it's a thing that makes you look. And I've been to shows and seen people use prompter, and I find them staring at the prompter. And so I don't want to be that girl. So as long as I can remember the words. And if I forget words, I just blame someone else. Like I blame the microphone. I pretend something's wrong. You know, like I have lots of ways around it or I just acknowledge I totally, totally forgot the words. Um, I'd rather do that, I think, than, um, and I have a pretty good memory for lyrics. So uh, as long as I do, I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing that. You mentioned Walk Away Joe and we'll play that just for a bit here. A song like that that you've sang 10,000 times, right? Do you go into a mode of like when you drive, you know you're driving, but you've driven this way so many times that you probably are doing most of that driving subconsciously. Right. Do you do that with these massive songs where it's just like you, you're so comfortable, you, it's hard to not fall back into the that subconscious place of just singing the song? I mean, I, I would, would be lying if I said I'd never done that, but 99% of the time, I, I'm so dramatic, and I love a story, and I always make myself a character in the story. So if in that, in Walkway Joe, I'm a character for those three and a half minutes, you know, so I really get lost in the lyric of a song and I, I enjoy that. That's part of what I get out of live performing. So I will say that I, I'm sure I've done it, but I also do really think about this. This is something that, that I learned on the Garth tour in 1991. There's going to be somebody in the audience who's never seen you before and is never going to see you again. And the only time they're ever going to hear Walk Away Joe live is this moment. And so I don't really want to be making my mental grocery list while they're in there for that moment. And I do think about that before I go out. So um, I'm sure I've done it, but I try not to do it. Yeah, Mickey Mantle would say, there's always somebody in, in the stands who has never seen Mickey Mantle before and will never see Mickey Mantle again. So I got to go out and make it special for that person. But it's such a hard thing to do because you think you do it so often. Do you and Garth like give each other pep talks? Because I've never met either one of you together or separately and you're not just awesome. <laughs> and it's almost annoying to you where it's like, I would like to, I'd like to catch you on off day because that just means you're human. You've ne you guys have never not been awesome to me. Well, I'm more human than him. I mean, I think he, I think one of the reasons that I have, um, a more of a grateful, positive outlook in life in general is because of him, because he, he looks at everything in a positive way. I mean, he will he will spin the positive no matter what. And I think that I I want to be that, but I'm not as much so as him. But I am more so that way with him in my life. And I think that there's just a, I mean, honestly, when you really think about it, what we get to do for a living, if you really think about it, is so such a great job. It's not even really a job. It's like I'm getting paid to have every day be different in my life and I get to go sing and I get to basically set my own schedule and I'm doing what I have always wanted to do my whole life. So I really, if I complain about that, someone should really just punch me in the face. 
can I be devil's advocate for a second? Yes. You sacrificed a lot. You have a lot of talent. It's not that anybody can do it. And you not only do you have a lot of talent, because a lot of people have talent, but people don't have talent and work ethic. And again, it's that perfect mixture of the both and also catching a couple breaks and giving a couple breaks. Like it is, I agree with you because I feel the same way. But again, it's not like it was handed to you and you go out and go, you know what, this this is just given to me. I should appreciate what was given to me. Like you work so hard for it. Well, I think there is. I mean, I think it's a Will Rogers quote that's something about um, luck is disguised in overalls and something like that, like mm-hmm. it's a bunch of work. But I mean, I think it is a drive that makes the work feel like not work really because it's, you're so driven. I don't, I always say, I don't feel like I chose this. Like I never, I didn't wake up one day and go, Hey, I think it'd be really cool to be a singer. I feel like I was, and it felt like a calling and it was almost, it was hard when I couldn't do it because as a young girl and as a teenager in a small town where nobody did what I wanted to do, I didn't know how to go about it. And that was the most frustrating part. Once I got to Nashville, then I'm like, okay, I'm here now. And, and I'm just going to be here and I'm going to, I'm just going to figure it out. There's a drive there. And I am a person who I like balance. So like yesterday, I didn't have anything on my schedule yesterday. And I stayed in my pajamas most of the day. I played with my dogs. I read a book. I had coffee and I loved it, but I could, I couldn't do that every day. I, I need this. This has been a great day. It's been a really busy day. But I've had the best day. So it's a, it's, and it's because I'm doing what I enjoy. Yeah. I feel the same way. I, and I work really hard, but I also love what I do, which makes me work really hard, which is because I love, it's just a, it's a nice little circle. Yeah. It totally so it's is. Like the arrow, the recycle arrows almost. It's and like, you, you do have to figure out the balance. I mean, you have well, to, I don't have that yet. Yeah. Do you know anybody? I don't have any um, life balance. Let me know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Know. I don't know if I can help you. Look I'll think up. on that. Don't tell him I don't drink though. Cause it runs the whole thing. <laughs> I, I want to talk you about need that though, Bobby, we have to find you. We have to find you that balance. You need it. Cause you will just work all the time if you don't have a balance. Well, that's what I do. Here's my cycle is that I go, I'm gonna work all the time. Cause if I work hard, I get successful, then somebody will like me. Right. And then I work all the time and I don't build my, my ecosystem of friends and folks. Right. And so when I go, you know what, I'm not going to work. I'm gonna take a second. And I take a break and there's no ecosystem of friends and folks around me because I haven't built it. Right. It's like being a gardener, but not planting the garden. Right. Where my, where's my food? We didn't plant it, idiot. That's what, I've, <laughs> it's like, that's what I'm saying to myself. And then I'm like, you know, screw this. I don't want to be, I don't have a system. I'm just going to keep working. So it never ends. After you've been through all the Netflix you can watch, then it's time to go back to work. <laughs> yeah, I do. You, wa- you have you watch Netflix? I do. What do you, what do you watch recently? Um, well, I've been on this whole kick of all these really disturbing documentaries oh, on everything that, you know, from abducted in plain sight to, oh my, oh my God. God, it was so disturbing. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself to Dirty John to like, it's just like, I really need to watch like a Disney movie. Although usually someone dies in the first five minutes. So that's not good. We need to find something else. That abducted in plain sight. So disturbing. So incredibly disturbing. I'm glad it was only one episode because I wouldn't have done in a second one. Yeah. I, I get excited when I find, me too. I get excited when I find out a show that I love has new episodes that I didn't know so then I can binge watch. So I just figured out the second half of the last of the this current season of Shameless is out and I didn't know it. So yesterday when I was in my pajamas, I got to watch like four episodes in a row that I had not seen and I was so excited because I love that show. Um, you watched Ted Bundy tapes? I did. That's, that's... I can't wait to the movie. I can't wait to see the movie. The movie's coming yeah. out. And it's coming. It's a Netflix movie too. Is it? Yeah. So it'll be right, right into our, yeah. they won't even, the great, here's the great thing about Netflix movies is that they don't even tell you they're coming. So you don't sit there and go, I can't wait. I can't wait. It's like, boom, you got a movie and I love it. It's, it's crazy. But I mean, I was a kid, I was in high school when, um, or junior high was in, it was eighties. Right. So I was in high school. So when that story was real and a thing, 
It was before cell phones. It was also really before like serial murders. It was like, that was kind of the beginning. So I remember, and one of my best friends who lives here in Nashville um, is from Seattle and she, she, there's that, that park that one of the girls was, she was in that park that day. And um, she and her girlfriend saw a VW bug drive by and slow down. And then they went and they ran, they ran into the woods. And I'm like, maybe you saw that. Like, I think you might've seen Ted Bundy that day. Like, so it's, it's terrifying when you realize that it's kind of happened when it could have happened to you as as a young girl. And also that it was kind of the beginning of, of this whole serial killer thing. So if you, if you were alive during that time, I mean, our kids go, well, I don't, I don't even understand it. I'm like, yeah, it was a, it was a thing. It was a big deal. The craziest thing about that to me was state to state. You could basically go do whatever you want in this state. Just jump over the state line and they, they didn't share records with each other. Right. You're a brand new man. Right. I mean, isn't he the reason that there became like yes. an FBI database? Because there wasn't one, right? That and also the fact that he escaped jail twice blew my mind. I know. He would practice jumping off his top cell to get his legs strong. I know. So he could jump out of the building. And then when he lost all the weight so he could go through the little ceiling square in the ceiling to get out. I mean, come on. Yeah. That crazy. was a, that's, crazy. Totally and then crazy. I felt guilty when it was over. Because I really enjoyed it. Like, I enjoyed the show of it. Right. And I enjoyed learning the history of it. And I'm like, oh, I shouldn't feel that way. So then I watched like five episodes of The Office to kind of cleanse <laughs> to myself. cleanse your soul. Like, oh, <laughs> something. I, I do want to talk about this uh, country record that you're going to put out. I just call it a, I wouldn't even call it a country record. I would say your record, another record. Because, like, it's time, right? Like, this is me talking. Like, it's time, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, thank you. I mean, yes. I mean, I think what happened, honestly, was... I didn't say, oh, I'm going to take several years off of making records. It just, the tour with Garth plus the cooking show, which I, you know, I never dreamed I would be doing all this other stuff. It sort of became, well, I'll, I'll, I'll make a record. I'll make a record. And it just kind of kept getting put on the back burner. And it is what feeds my soul. It is what I do. It is what make, brings me the most joy of all these things I do that I love. And so last year, 2018, after the tour ended, I just made it a priority. I'm like, I'm making music this year. And that's how the Sinatra record happened. And then I started the country record, which I would call it a country record, in uh, in May. And we're mixing starting this week. So um, it was so much fun. It reminded me that that whole life is short and get, a- get after it thing. I don't want to wait. I want to just keep making music. I'm not worried about, at this point in my life, I'm not worried about how I'm going to get it out there. I'll figure that out. I mean, I don't know about radio. I don't know about any of those things, but I wasn't thinking about any of that in the studio. I was just finding songs that felt good. I laughed a lot. I sang a lot. I, I feel like my voice feels strong. I feel good. And I just, I did what I do. If you're going to call yourself an artist, that's what you do. And then you figure out, someone else will help you figure out how you get it out there. Do you guys record a song in songs that you obviously really love? And go, oh, that could be the single. Like, do you, do you now, are you leaning toward one and you're going, I think this is the one that, and wh- whatever single means, it, radio, right, right. highlighted on playlist, right. you know. At first, it's funny because at first I said, and I said, um, I'm not making a, I don't, I'm not even going to send this record to radio. Like, I'm just going to make an album. I don't care. I don't care about having anything on the radio. And then as I started making the record and started listening to the songs and started like, I love these songs and I'm like, well, this could be a single, you know? And so, so we're, I'm just about at that place where I'm going to figure that out. But I, it's funny because I guess it's ego or it's my own self-confidence. But when I hear it, I go, I, I could hear this on, on the radio. So, I mean, that'll be for a group of people to weigh in on, but I feel like, um, I feel like there's, there's, there's some things. And the cool thing is 
The hard thing is I'm 54. I'm a woman. There's So those are two big strikes against me for radio. But the, the good news is that there is more opportunity, I think, and openness to do things however you do them now. So it doesn't, it's not as well, you got to be on these three labels and you can only get, there's, there's just a million ways to do it now. So I think there's, while some things are harder, some things are easier. So um, we'll see. I'm excited about it. Well, thank you. Yeah. I am too. I really am. I mean, I, when we made the, this let's be frank in the summer, I've been chomping at the bit to get it out. And now that it's out, I'm chomping at the bit to get the country record out. So um, I'm, I'm very excited to, to come in and talk to you about it. Yeah. Don't send it to me early, though. I will not listen to it. I will not send it to you early. Right. Not that you were going to, <laughs> but don't send it to me early. Well, I, it's good to know because I want, I want to send it to you and you'll listen to it. Well, my thing is, I think you can be of the industry or the people, right? One of the two. And I don't listen to music early because I don't want to be cooler than my people. And so some of my best friends will go, won't listen to it. I just, I have a rule and it's also a slippery slope, but but it's mostly about, I don't want to be of the industry and it gets me in trouble a lot, you know, uh, good and bad, you know, yin yang. Right. But I just, I won't because like, I like to wake up on the Friday and so so I'll listen to it before I go to show sometimes, sometimes after never can I hear a full record before I go on the air. It takes an hour sometimes. Right. Unless it's a weeds of record takes 19 minutes. One of the two. (laughs) Um, And I like to, experience it like my people experience it and so yeah like i'm excited if you come in early and we do an interview this is what this is my moral dilemma if you come in early because sometimes let's say you're going to go do press in new york and you're not going to be able to talk to me on album day and you come in on a wednesday and I have to like play the clips i feel like i'm dirty to my people yeah I, but i have feel to do bad. the interview I feel bad i shouldn't hear this it's like <laughs> a baby that covers earmuffs from old school well it's kind of like i will like I want to go support the artist. So even for myself, like I have a thing where I go and buy my album on the first day. It's kind of like that. I mean, I, um, and if somebody gives me an advanced copy of something, I still want to go buy it. Cause I want all the artwork and I want, I want everything. Yeah. I want to, I want to have the original whatever. So I still do that. I've since the very first album, I, I go and buy my, my records every on the, on release day. Let me mention Trisha's tailgate real quick. Tell me about that. So when we were doing the tour with Garth, the last one, I guess I just didn't notice it because, I mean, I'm a sports girl, so I know about tailgating, and that's the thing in Georgia especially. But um, everybody tailgates for these concerts, and they're there all day long, and they're just waiting and waiting for the show. So we thought we'd set up a big tent, make it a very cool, very nice tailgate if you want to come beforehand. Seven or eight Trisha dishes and drinks and games, and we're going to do food demos. It's just going to be – it's kind of like the ultimate tailgate for about three hours before doors open to go in and see the stadium show. Man, you guys are so giving to the fans. You know, the, you probably hear it some, but you don't get to hear people talk about you behind your back that often. But the, the thing that said about both you and Garth, and I said it to your face a minute ago, is you guys are always great. And so we wonder, are you real? Like, are, are you, what's under that skin? <laughs> I have to get back in my pod later. Yeah, no. yeah do you walk and just <laughs> recharge, plug back in like the iPhone? Pod. But yeah, I mean, you guys are, and, and I think that for a lot of artists, it's something to look at is that you guys really, you know, where my grandma would say, well, your bread is buttered. And I, and I've learned from you guys too. And, but I also know that my people got me here They're, I want to be doing this. I want to be doing the radio show. I want to be doing stand up on the road if it weren't for the people, but you guys are superstars and you still keep that as your number one. That's awesome to me. Well, I think you definitely have to keep in mind that you don't get to go out there and do those shows. If those people don't show up, you know, that, that doesn't, that doesn't fly. You know, I think there's a real realization of that. And I, I'm in a relationship. I keep giving Garth credit, but I mean, 
when I, my very first tour was opening for him in 1991. And it was like, it was like the way to be one-on-one with him. Cause he was, he was, he became a superstar. I mean, like no one has seen in country music. And I watched him helping roll up cords at loadout and being kind to every single person in his path. And I remember thinking, well, he's Garth Brooks. Like he doesn't have to be nice and people won't, nobody's going to say anything because he's the, like he, he's the star of the show. But the way he treated people was a lesson for me. And we both were raised by families who would not have tolerated us not being nice to people. But at the same time, you know, you got a hit record and people are opening the door for you and carrying your bags. I might have gone down the path of somehow in somewhere in my brain thinking I deserve that. But living with him and being around him was a great lesson to see, to, to remember who you are always and no matter what happens to you. And I mean, I really do credit him with that because he, and it's genuine, you know, I, I've known him such a long time now. And I thought at some point the other shoes got to drop. Like I think That's he's, I, I think he's for. a, he's a unicorn for sure. Like I, I keep thinking I'm going to see the other side and he's just a good guy. Hmm. He just is. I what mean, about even when he's if sick I'm, though, is he a baby? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's total baby. Yeah. Yeah. Total baby. He yes, like he's, he's got a, a cold. He's he, like, oh my god, he's yeah. he's not a good patient. Just what all. I figured. I he, knew he's yeah. not perfect. There's his weakness. I knew it. All right, <laughs> let's be frank. Um, is out now, and the the new country record, which we haven't said a name of anything yet. I don't know a name of anything. Yet. Don't know the name yet. I've got a couple ideas, but I'll probably have one by the next. Let time. Let me toss to one you. at you. Okay. Let's be Trisha. <laughs> Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, played it off. Yeah. Nice. I've had way too much whiskey. I'll this, consider this that. Whiskey as we're doing it. <laughs> Listen, I've really enjoyed our talk. You know, I really enjoy you. Um, you are a delight. You really are. I, I love this. It's like this time has gone really quickly. So I we've just been wanna... here seven hours. It, really? It's already tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. It's, it's like we, when you start dating someone, you talk all through the night. That's what, or so that's I hear. A, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. You happens. wouldn't know anything about I, that. I know but... nothing about that. I've been so long. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's be frank. Really. Thank you. And Thank everybody you. check out Let's Be Frank and we'll just sit and wait. Sit on our hands until the, okay. the but, country. And I won't play it for you early, but I, I will bring there. it to you the day of. If you have a party, I will not be there. Okay. We're going to have to do the release date in Nashville just so I can come play it for you that day. It's going to have to happen. It's so weird to have an artist play music for you though. Because I have to do this thing where you just bob your head and act like you're feeling it. This, right. this what if is you're my, not? What do you do if you're not? Like what if you don't same like thing. it? You, do, you go into it the same way. Every time. When they, this is me. You ready? I'm going to act like I'm hearing yeah, one of okay. your songs right now. All right. Mm. Mm. That's it. Oh, wow. That's good. Like, it's the You're same so thing. You're so busted. I'm going to watch you like a hawk next time we get together and you're listening to my music. I got I won't. this now. I won't listen to... Ask Leslie. I won't listen to a song with somebody in front of me. Get out of your mind. So as an artist, I go and sit with a publisher and a songwriter and they play me their song that they poured their heart into and I have to say face-to-face to them... I mean, that's just not for me. Should I say that to you? If you play my record? <laughs> you know what, Trisha? Just not just for me. Not, I mean, it's great, but it's just not for you me. You know, I like the it's, old stuff, Trisha. You would kill me. It's really but that's hard. Your, that's your job to do but that. It's hard to do. Yeah, I hate to, I hate to make people sad. Yeah, me too. So uh, let me just say already, love every song you've, you're, you, you've made and are going to make. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, Trisha, you're what? Episode 164. We'll see you guys next time. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tacovas.com.
That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. 